Well, good morning to all of you joining us in Quakertown. I miss you guys a ton. I uh, hope Josh is treating you well over there. Uh, for those of you in Souderton, uh, you may not know who I'm talking about when I'm talking about Josh. Josh is the new campus pastor up at Quakertown. Uh, he's a pretty awesome guy, and apparently he has better shoes than me. But I feel like I'm wearing brown leather chucks. I mean, come on, that is... Cl- yeah, right? I mean, seriously. No, his shoes are probably way cooler than mine right now. Uh, don't worry, you'll have the opportunity to meet Josh at some point soon, and ogle over his shoes as well. Well, we're in the middle of a series that we are calling Impact. And uh, let me explain to you a little bit of why we're doing this series. If you're new to Calvary Church, you need to know that our mission is to be a church that continues what Jesus started. And we do that by living out lives according to the values of connect and impact. And what we say is, as we connect with God and he impacts our lives, we are sent to connect with others and impact their lives with the gospel. And what we have also said recently, what we want you to understand is that connect and impact, they don't exist separately from each other. They're not two separate things. They actually, they have this coexistence. They mingle a little bit. They they overlap into each other. But for the sake of understanding them, we separated them into two series. And so over the summer, we had this whole summer of connection. And we had these barbecues and we ate cupcakes and we gave you a lot of carbs. And then we studied in the Bible what it meant to live a life connected to God and connected to others. And and what we said during this time, just as a review, is that it has to start with connecting with God. That the rest of that entire statement, the entire statement of connecting with others and impact, that is empty unless we connect with God. But what we need to also understand is that when we connect with God, he impacts our lives. There is an impact that happens when we connect with God. And so we are entering into this new series, into this new season of impact. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say about how God impacts our lives and then how we are sent to impact the lives of others with the gospel. And so what we're doing in this series is we're taking a look at a letter a short letter found at the back of the Bible written by a man named John. And Charles was talking about this letter, and and one of the things that he said is that it's kind of hard to outline 1 John because John writes all of these things that kind of overlap into each other, and they connect in weird ways, and they're repeated in weird ways, and sometimes they don't make sense. And so we're going to take a look at that, but what Charles said was that what you need to understand overall is that John is trying to provide assurance to believers, assurance of this impact of the gospel into their lives. And Charles talked about three things last week. He talked about truth, life, and love. Truth, life, and love. He said, we need to believe the truth. Our lives need to be evidence of that truth. And that evidence is to be expressed through loving one another. And so this passage we're going to jump into today is going to actually review those concepts as well. And so today's going to be kind of a review, but we're going to take a look at it and we're going to kind of unpack it. And so you're not going to hear something that you may not have heard before, but what you're going to hopefully hear is something that impacts our lives today for us to live out what we're reading in Scripture today. So if you have your Bible, turn to 1 John. It's all the way at the back of the Bible. Go to Revelation and just move over and drop pages and, and all that. But we're looking at 1 John. Chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. 
But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I think you need to know something about me. Um, I'm a big fan of mysteries. Big fan of mysteries. It started out with Encyclopedia Brown. And and it moved on to the Hardy Boys. uh, And it moved on from there uh, to Sherlock Holmes. And I even watch uh, mysteries. And I watched Psych. I was a big Psych fan. Monk. I watched Monk. There was an awkward part of my life where I watched Murder, She Wrote. That teapot is a good detective, let me tell you right now. But I love mysteries, and I was remembering uh, one of the episodes I was watching, and this detective, he, he's trying to solve the mystery, and it seems kind of impossible, and he suddenly gets it. And he goes and he tells everyone the solution. He tells everyone how he solved it. And he's telling everyone, including the criminals right there, and he says, this is how it happened, and this is why it happened, and this is what's going on. He's saying the whole story. But the criminal is off to the side with a smug smile on his face. He's not concerned. Something's wrong here. Like the the, the detective is saying all these things, but he's not concerned at all. So after the detective finishes, he says, the criminal comes up to the detective and says, that's a great story. Where's your proof? That's a great story. Where's your proof? And that's a problem. Because without evidence, there's no case. Without evidence, there's no case. The detective is quiet for a moment, and he's concerned, and he's like, all of a sudden a light bulb goes off, and he goes over to a truck that had been on the scene of the crime, and he pulls the keys out, and he says, here's my proof. Your fingerprints are on this key. And it was the fingerprints that ended up being the evidence needed to convict the criminal. Why do I say that? Well, we are called to impact others with the gospel. We are called to share this good news, this story of Jesus. And at some point, our world will look at us and say, that's a great story. Where's the proof? Where's the proof? The proof, the evidence, needs to be the fingerprints of Jesus all over our lives. All over our lives. What does that look like? What what do I mean by that? Well, let's look at verse 3 again. What does verse 3 say? We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The first piece of evidence, I give you exhibit A. Exhibit A, obedience. Obedience. They will have the evidence of the gospel if we live obedient lives. Now, some of you are like, okay, that's basic knowledge. Some of you may be thinking that's not something new. And the reason that you think that is because of the culture that you have lived in, the culture you have grown up in. 
But let's go and review some of the cultures of the people that John was writing to. Let's go back and look at some of the people who John was writing to, and then I would venture to say that as we take a look at them, we may see some similarities to the people around us. You see, there was one group of the people that John was writing to that they really valued intellectual reasoning. The way that God was known by, was by how much knowledge they knew of him. It was by facts. But what ended up happening is that life became more about intellectual satisfaction more than it was about actual true life change. They knew of God, they just didn't know him. But there was another group. There was another group. It was completely opposite direction. It was more about emotional experience. It was not so much about learning the facts of God, but it was more about the feeling of God. It wasn't about knowing God, it was about feeling him. And so there was this constant search for this emotional high. One commentator I read almost called it a religious drug. And there's a problem with that too, because it was more about experience, it wasn't actually knowing God. And then there was another group that was founded in the Jewish faith and continued on in the Christian faith. The way that God was known was because God revealed himself. God wasn't known simply through some intellectual enlightenment or through some emotional experience. No, God was revealed and made known because he made himself known. He was a very real God who was making himself known to very real people. And the God who made himself known was a holy God. And so if this holy God made himself known to people, then the impact that had to happen was that when this holy God revealed himself, then the people who were impacted must in turn also be holy. You see, obedience isn't the means of salvation but it can be a measure of salvation. It can be a measure of salvation. We can be assured of the impact that God has had on our lives through an obedient life. But what are we to obey? What is it that we are to obey? Well, I give you exhibit B, a new command. Exhibit B is a new command. John writes typical John sentences in verses 7 and 8. John says, I do not give you a new command. I give you an old command. And then just right after that, he goes, and then I give you this new command. You're right there, John? Are you okay? Because you're sounding kind of confusing. But the truth of the matter is, is that John is actually being very, very clear in what he's saying. Both of his statements are actually 100% true. The command to love others wasn't a new command. For those who believed in God, that command had been given throughout God's time with humanity. God had expected them to love others. That command was not new. In fact, the command of loving others had become so normative that it actually might have become mundane. It might have become as mundane as possibly the command to love others sounds today. It wasn't a new command. But the command had not been witnessed in perfection until Jesus. 
It was a command, but it had not been witnessed in its perfection until Jesus. The command was new because Jesus had reached a standard that had never been reached before. It had never been seen before. And now humanity was being commanded to love like that. Look at verses, the verse that sets up 7 and 8. Verse 6, it says, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. To live like Jesus, you have to love like Jesus. You can't live like Jesus and not love like Jesus. And John didn't come up with this. He didn't make it up. It wasn't something he wrote in the letter and the comments like, oh, I've got this novel idea. This is a great state. It's going to sound great in writing. John didn't come up with us this command. John was actually a recipient of this command. If you look back at another writing of John, if you look at the Gospel of John, where John writes the life story of Jesus, John writes about receiving this command. It's found in John chapter 13. Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. In fact, it goes on in verse 35, and it says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You ever hear this, this statement? It's kind of attributed to parents at times, um, especially to dads at times. You ever hear the statement, Do as I say, not as I do. Right? You hear that statement before? Do as I say, not as I do. I say that when it comes to eating healthy. (laughs) Do as I say, not as I do. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus says, do as I said and do as I did. Do as I said and do as I did. Being a follower of Jesus is not about just talking the talk. It's about walking the walk. It's about walking the walk. And that can be very sobering if we take a look at what John is saying in the passage we just read. Because John uses some very strong language in these verses. But I want to just pause for a moment because we need to understand that there's a lot of rebuking happening in 1 John. Okay? There's a lot of rebuking. When when you look at 1 John, he is rebuking a lot of stuff. And he says some very strong words. But when I think of 1 John, I never think of that. I actually think of this very warm and loving book. And the reason is is that John actually, in his rebuke, still brings across this love of Jesus. Even though he's rebuking, he brings across this love of Jesus. Do Do not confuse this warmth for weakness. Because John hits his readers really hard. Look at what he says. He warns of claiming to be a follower of Jesus and not keeping the commands. And he says, if that's you, you're a liar. You're a liar. He warns of being commanded to love and then hating your brother or sister. And he says, if that's you, you're still in darkness. These are strong words. I listened to, I was at Quakertown last weekend, so I heard Josh Crum preach last weekend. He preached the same passage that Charles preached uh, last week. So I heard both sermons. And so Josh said something, though, last week. He said this. Darkness isn't a thing. It's the absence of a thing. Darkness isn't a thing. It's the absence of a thing. 
And here's why that's important. John is saying that if you hate your brother and sister, you're living in darkness. And I think that we need to be careful because there's a sobering warning there. Because if we're commanded to love and instead we live lives of hate, well, we might be living lives absent from the light. It's a sobering judgment. And I have to be honest, as I read that, I, I, I questioned for a moment, I questioned for a moment, what would John write to the American church in these past two years? And, and I'm, not, I'm not talking at anyone right now. I'm talking, we're having a conversation. I'm talking with you. I could put a mirror right here in front of myself and just talk to myself because I need to hear these words too. But what would John have written to the American church these past two years. Because Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples. They will know you are my disciples. How? If you love one another. I'm not sure that can be said in our culture today. Somehow, somehow our culture has gotten this notion that the church is more known for what it is against than for the love of Jesus. And somehow we have mirrored our culture around us. And again, I'm not saying anything towards you. Maybe I'm just speaking to myself. But somehow the picture we have proclaimed is just as divided as the culture around us. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be loving one another. And and don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we don't speak truth. I'm not saying that. We have to speak truth. In fact, there are times we have to rebuke. But did you see how John did it? There wasn't a shadow of a doubt of his love because the love of Jesus overflowed in him even during times of rebuke. The church has to love and not some Hallmark Channel throw up in your mouth kind of love. Mm Mm-mm. Real love. Jesus' love. We have to love with Jesus' love. Willing to pay whatever price kind of love. Willing to love the outcast kind of love. Willing to love the one who has harmed us kind of love. Willing to do whatever it takes and lay down our life kind of love. We need to, as a church, love with Jesus' love. Because if we're not loving like Jesus, we're not living like Jesus. And we have to be very careful because if we're not loving like Jesus, we fall into a very scary place that we might not be living with Jesus. We have to love All right, so here's the deal. I know that there has been a lot of hurt that people have experienced over these past two years. In fact, some of us may have hurt each other. I know that. I don't think any of it was intentional. I really don't think any of it was intentional. 
I don't think we were trying to hurt, but there's been a lot of things that we've had to deal with. There's been a lot of emotions, there's been a lot of stuff that have just come at us. And for the times that I have been the source of hurt for any of you, even if it was unintentional, for that I say sorry. And I ask for your forgiveness. Because you need to know that that is not my desire. My desire is to love. You need to know the desire of this staff, of Jay, Charles, the pastors, and the rest of the staff here. This staff has a desire to love you so much. They love this church and they love this community. But just so you know, we're kind of screwed up. We're pretty screwed up. But if you would allow this ragtag group of screw-ups to love you, and if you would allow this ragtag group of screw-ups to love this community, we would love it if you would join us. We would love it if we started this new season of impact with a commitment to love one another, to be a church that is known for its love. Can we enter into that season of impact with this commitment to love one another? You see, there is evidence for the impact of Jesus. Exhibit A was obedience. Exhibit B was a new command, a command to love like Jesus. And there's one more piece of evidence. Exhibit C, you, you. I could have written me. I could have written us. But I chose to write you. I just want you to know that there is a world out there that needs to hear the good news of Jesus. I just want you to know that there is a world there that needs to hear the gospel. And for some of this world, when they hear the gospel, their response will be, that's a great story. Where's your proof? You are the proof. That's amazing. You are the proof. You can be the greatest evidence of the gospel to someone in your life. You are the proof. So how about it? How about it? Are you willing to be covered in the fingerprints of Jesus? Are you willing to obey his command? And are you willing to love with Jesus' love? You know, we've had some homework in this series, and you've got a card. It's a five-by-five five card. I want to remind you of your homework. It's not due yet. But it's going to be due, so you got to do it. And on that, we have said, read through 1 John five times. And we've also said, memorize these five verses on here. 1 John 1.9, 1 John 2.1, 1 John 2.3, 1 John 3.16, and 1 John 5.13 uh, here. We want you to memorize these verses and read through 1 John. If you're a little late, 
It's okay. We're going to give you some extra credit today. The points don't matter, but we're going to give you extra credit. As you do this 5 by 5 challenge, as you read through 1 John, as you memorize scripture, here's your extra credit. Go on a scavenger hunt. As you read through the truths that John outlines, as you memorize the verses that John outlines, as you read through this assurance of the gospel, will you go on a scavenger, scavenger hunt and see the evidence of that truth in your life? Will you go on a scavenger hunt and see where that's showing up in your life? Can you look for how the truth of this letter is found in your life? Because again, this world desperately needs the gospel. Desperately needs the gospel. And there's going to be far too many replies that say, nice story. Where's your proof? Let's be the proof. Let's be the proof. What would happen if we loved with Jesus' love? What would happen if when the communities around us looked at us, they wouldn't see a building in Quakertown or a building in Souderton, but instead they would see the cross? What would happen if when the communities around us, instead of seeing good ministries or good events, they would see the empty tomb? What would happen if when the communities around us looked at Calvary Church and instead of seeing us, they saw the evidence of Jesus? You know what would happen? The beauty and depth and richness of the statement of as we connect with God and he impacts our lives, we are sent to connect with others and impact our lives with the gospel would suddenly explode into our community and lives would be changed. That's what would happen. I want to be a part of that kind of church. And I want you to be a part of that kind of church. So let's be that kind of church. Let's love with Jesus' love. Let's love with Jesus' love. Let's go and bring the gospel to a world that so desperately needs it. Let's be evidence of Jesus this week. Let's pray. Lord, I ask you that you would just fill us with an awareness of your love today. I ask you that you would just make that love real in everyone's heart who is here in this room, who is in Quakertown, who's watching online. I ask you that it would be so real that it would just overflow in us, that it will impact the way we smile, that we'd be smiling for no reason just because your love is overflowing us. It would impact the way we forgive. It would impact the way that we treat others. It would impact our communities. God, I ask you that you would allow us to love with such a strong and passionate love that people couldn't help but see the evidence of Jesus when they see us. Bless this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.